You found something. You found the Rebel Base Card Podcast. What a piece of junk. I'm your host, Greg McLaughlin. He's as clumsy as he is stupid. Join me as we discuss Star Wars trading cards and card collecting. We need a statement, not a manifesto. We'll talk about sets from the original vintage. No, no, the one I'm pointing to. All the way to current releases. This? Yes. All right, let's get started. Commence primary ignition. Welcome back, or if this is your first episode, welcome aboard. Tonight's guest is Kevin Cleveland. He's an artist who, amongst other great work, does some sketch cards for Tops. He really likes horror films, wrestling, and really a good watch. He's going to be appearing at Nashville at the ICCC, or, if I can say this right, the Imperial Commissary Collectors Convention, September 13th through 15th in Nashville, Tennessee. He has sketch cards in the Chrome Legacy set that was just released. You can also check him out at the Real Kevin Cleveland on Instagram, or search Kevin B. Darth Kenobi Cleveland on Facebook, uh, I, I say that only because there are a couple of Kevin Clevelands on Facebook. Uh, his is the one that has the really cool sketch of Peter Mayhew as his profile page. It's a really, really great sketch. Uh, before we get started tonight, a little collection news. Um, I bought a couple of Topps Blue Series 1 cards that were kind of replacing these OPG cards that I'd had for over 30 years that helped me complete my Series 1 Blue set. I'd gotten these so long ago, and when I got them, I was just trying to fill any kind of slot I could, and I wasn't really quite sure what these cards were all about. Obviously, they were in French, and so they had to come from either one or two places, but at that point, I didn't know about OPG or or how that, that was put together. So I kind of decided, as I was getting more and more of these OPG cards, I kind of decided, you know what, I'm going to use these two cards, I think card two and card 40, if you're paying really close attention to the feed, and decide to start their own set. And I think this is something to where, you know, once you kind of have your vintage sets completed, you know, they're really nice, but it's kind of fun to start that chase again. And I thought this to make a nice backbone uh, to put together the full OPG sets. There are only three for the original series. They didn't have a series three yellow or green. They kind of combined um, the fourth and fifth sets uh, the tops ones, to make this super set that was orange. Uh, and then also, if you are aware of the OPG orange sets, you'll also know there's a card in there that is uh, typo. There was a typo. It has Ken Kenobi instead of Ben Kenobi. Uh, but it's one of those where it's just different enough. The uh, cardstock is a little different. Uh, the cards tend to be a little brighter, and of course, they are bilingual. They're both in English and French. Uh, so it's kind of like getting a whole new set. So it's one of those things where I think it was kind of fun to start putting this together, and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to bite the bullet and start putting together these OPG sets. Um, I also recently got a nice little set of 501st cards from Colorado. Um, I started, as you have kind of been, uh, as you've been listening, you can kind of hear me talk about, I really kind of dig these 501st cards. Uh, they're really polished. They're really well put together. If I can usually get someone, if they're handing me their card, if they can sign them, obviously sometimes the costume kind of prohibits them from doing too much as, as far as signatures are concerned. But it's kind of nice to put these together. You know, there are there's a vast number of these, but it is kind of nice. And uh, if you uh, see someone, if the 501st is trooping in your area or there's a parade or there's an event, uh, definitely get their cards. And if they can, sign them. I think an artist should sign their work. It's, it's great stuff. Uh, and I also wanted to say shout out to the Mountain Garrison there in Colorado. 
Uh, a couple of these cards uh, was from this guy named Dave Adams, and it was very nice. Uh, it was, had his signature on it. So very shout out to him, and shout out once again to the Mountain Garrison. Uh, very cool work they do, and very cool cards. Um, very excited. I got recently a Corey D. Williams autograph. I got it off of somebody from Facebook. Uh, and they had put up a list of cards they were selling. There, there were different autographs, and I saw Corey D's right there, and I'm like, hey, I, I need to get that one. Um, as some of you who are on the Instagram uh, f same feeds that I am, you can kind of see him show up from here to there. He is a little responsive to the community, and I think you know if, you're, if you've been following this along, if you really like getting into uh, Star Wars folks or Star Wars, the Star Wars community on Instagram, uh, you really like it when someone kind of pops up, maybe likes something, uh, maybe, you know, like tag something. So it's just one of those where once I saw this, I'm like, I, this is really cool. I, I really need to get this. Um, one of these days, I really hope to see him in person and have him sign a Klaatu card of some ilk. Uh, maybe even get a picture. Who knows? But, uh, you know, it's one of those where when you're trying to collect autographs and you're like, who do I collect? Sometimes people collect for value. Obviously, if you're getting a Princess Leia card or a Han Solo. But sometimes... Uh, if, if there's a story around this autograph or it's just someone cool you like following or someone you actually met at a con, got their autograph, then I think it makes these a lot funner and there's a little more meaning to it. So uh, it was a great card. It was a transparent one, actually, and I'm not quite sure the set it was. Um, I'll have to dig into it a little deeper. I, I just got this, but uh, really excited about that. Um, and lastly, some uh, housekeeping notes. I have got most of my interviews locked up for the September shows. And I will definitely be giving you details as they get done. I don't want to jinx myself and, and something doesn't, doesn't uh, go down or falls through. But I'm um, really excited about these shows that are coming up, these next few guests. So I'll be really happy to get them out to you. And I'm really excited about it. Right now we have Topps Legacy Chrome in stores. Um, very soon we're going to have the uh, Skywalker Saga comes out. And I do believe that is a retail as well as a hobby set. Uh, we'll be talking about that, and I'm sure you're going to be seeing some cards uh, in my feed and others as the time goes forth and some of these ones get released. If you aren't following some of these artists on Instagram, uh, sometimes they're, able, they're, they're not able to show you the card or some of the artist proofs they're working on beforehand, but when the, when the embargo gets released, when the, when the set gets released, you'll see them kind of posted out, and you'll see some of the artist proof they have, or maybe if they had shots of the cards they worked out, for the sets themselves, or you'll see maybe someone pull uh, pull a card. If you go to the uh, Cardboard Connection uh, website, you're going to see the full uh, list of sketch artists for not only the Chrome Legacy, but the Skywalker Saga. Uh, it's a lengthy one, and so you'll probably see someone that you know, someone that you follow, someone that follows you. Uh, so hopefully, if you're chasing those cards, good luck. Uh, should be fun as we start to get into the fall. And there's going to be a lot of content released. I think it's going to be pretty much a boom, boom, boom from here out. And uh, so it's going to be kind of exciting as we get ready for the, you know, the, the, the rise of Skywalker at the end of the year. At any rate, let's get into the interview tonight with Kevin Cleveland. Um, one of the things I keep uh, tabs on myself as I am interviewing sketch card artists is some of the topics do tend to be... Uh, the same. So sometimes I try to mix it up. Sometimes I try to get um, maybe focus on a certain aspect that I see in their work or something about their studio or something about their style. Uh, but when I was going through uh, Kevin's Instagram feed, I kind of noticed a little something that I thought was unique and I thought it'd be a great idea to start off with that topic just to kind of get things going. I will go ahead if you don't mind and start this off. I'm going to throw you a little off kilter and I really want to talk about watches. Okay. 
the uh, I was looking through your Instagram feed and started, and I found out a new word called horology. And nice. I kind of wanted to get your take as far as how did you get interested in watches and tell me about your watches? Uh, well, I don't know. I've always been interested in watches. Uh, I think it comes from when I was young, I had an old style alarm clock that my parents gave me, you know, uh, two bells on the top with the hammer in the middle. Right. And it never worked. Uh, <laughs> so I spent my younger years taking it apart, putting it together. And when I say younger years, I'm saying like six or prior. Um, so at that point, I'm sure I broke it more than it already was broke, but it was just always fascinating to me every time I opened it up and I saw all the little gears inside and how things fit together. Um, so that's, I think really where I got interested in watches in general. Um, my parents got me some watches when I was younger, uh, some silly quartz digital watches and things like that, uh, that, you know, never really held value. What weren't anything expensive. My parents weren't, uh, weren't well to do, you could say. But, um, when I got older and you know, the internet actually like really started to be something you could research things on, uh, I just found myself, uh, kind of gravitated towards it. Um, I'm a little showy. I won't lie. <laughs> I, I'm a showy kind of guy. I like having a nice watch on my hand. Uh, I like, you know, I've always had a new phone, you know, um, even back from when I was like 16, I had a, I had a cell phone and a pager, <laughs> you know, thought it, thought I was cool. So I think that's a lot of where it comes from. And then I find watches to be very much, uh, the same as a lot of other mechanical products, uh, whether it be, you know, home theater electronics or, um, iPads, iPhones, all that kind of stuff. There's always a level of how good something is. And then there's a level of, well, you're paying for a name, um, which always interested me. Right. Um, you, you, you asked about my collection. I, I mean, I have, I have some expensive watches in my collection. Um, but, and this will get me in trouble with a lot <laughs> of watch people if they listen to this, but my everyday watch is an Invicta uh, Pro Diver. It is what I wore when I was in my office job, what I wear now that I'm, I'm bartending. And, you know, it's scratched to heck. Uh, it loses up to, I don't know, two and a half minutes a day. Um, but in general, for the, the cost of the watch and what you get out of it, it's, it's a great watch. Um, you know, I, as I said, I have a few higher end things in my collection, but I really, you know, I pull those out for special occasions or if I'm out at an appearance or something like that. Um, and it gives you something to, to talk about. Um, it really, it's a, it's kind of a community thing. I was at a convention once and ran into uh, Ming Chang from, uh, uh, comic book men on, on A and E that, uh, Kevin Smith show. And, I saw him and I asked if I could get a picture with him. And as I asked, he looked and saw my watch on my, on my arm and asked me about it and asked me if I was into watches. And he is too. Um, you know, so we, we got to have a, a nice long conversation about it. And then eight, nine months later, I see him at another convention 
at his table and I just went up to say hi and he recognized me before I even got to the table, you know, <laughs> so really kind of a community thing. He's like, hey, you're that guy from that I saw in Louisiana or whatever, you know, with that watch. And I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we sat and talked and that was a show in Kentucky, which interestingly enough, uh, him and Mike Zapsik were there and they had like six or seven bottles of whiskey or scotch on their table and were offering anyone of age to do a shot with them, <laughs> which, was, which was really cool. I got a, I got a nice, like, you know, $20 a shot, uh, shot of, uh, angels envy whiskey and, uh, you know, had a longer conversation with them. So it was really fun. Um, so no, no, it's fun. I, I like watches for, for a lot of the community, um, a little bit of the show and, it can be funny as well. I, I follow a guy on Instagram called, uh, you know, Rolex Enforcer, and I believe the same guy runs Wrist Busters, and they basically find pictures of celebrities or whomever it may be posting pictures of their watches online and point out the fake ones and call them out for it. So it, it, it can be a fun little hobby as well. Um, but yeah, I think that's really where it comes from. And I, and I think the internet has done a lot to bring this out. I think if you, it, it's like I said, it's one of those things where I didn't wear a watch for about 10 years. And now I kind of go back and go, you know, it's such a distinctive thing. And, and, and you know, for a guy, we don't have a ton of, um, you know, jewelry options. But it is Absolutely. something where I think it does make a statement. And it is kind of interesting where you can kind of see these groups. And I, I think when you, talk about doing stuff online or you're posting, I think you only enrich your own knowledge of, you know, what's out there. And then you'll kind of get in these other groups and you'll meet up. And, and like I said, I think it's just an amazing little thing when we're talking about, you know, the star Wars community in general, how big this is, but there's these little groups. I, I think, I think the watches are kind of the same way. And I don't think you just stop with just one watch. Oh, absolutely not. Um, and I and there's definitely a thing. There's definitely something to a watch being mechanical and not digital. I know a lot of people. I know you were saying uh, you you own some iWatches, and uh, I, I know quite a few people that own iWatches and had been wearing them. You know, at the office I worked at or whatever, and um, or Fitbits, whatnot. And you know, I they would see a watch I would wear or something else, and we get to talking about it and. All of a sudden, they're coming to me asking me if I have any recommendations because they're looking for something because they're going to, you know, a wedding and they don't just want to wear an Apple Watch. They want to wear something a little, little showier, a little nicer for the occasion. Or, you know, uh, it's me and my husband's twentieth wedding anniversary, and I want to get them something nice. I think something like a watch would be great. You know, what what kind of recommendations do you have? Um, and, and you're right. There's so much out there to give people so much information, um, whether it just be online or groups. There are just like Star Wars, just like uh, 501st. Any any garrison has building parties and things like that where people get together and they chit chat and they, you know, work on their props and things. Um, watches do the same thing. You know, you can go on Instagram and really kind of search through and you will find groups and groups of people that have you know cocktail hours or a, a dinner once a month or once a week or whatever with local people that all do watches and they all bring their they wear a different watch every time so they can kind of show off to each other and talk about it 
uh, it's a it's a really fun community. You know, just like in any community, there's going to be people out there you don't like, but uh, I think that's a very small percentage when you're going into that. What would you say is your biggest online presence or where do you think you put the most um, you know, bullet behind the gun or, or lack of a better analogy on the social? Would it be Instagram or Facebook or some other? Um, it would probably be Facebook. Uh, as I said before, I am terrible at promoting myself. Uh, I really need to set myself like, you know, a, a 20 minutes every day or something like that to go on and go through all my different, uh, you know, between Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I have a new app I downloaded called, uh, uh what's it called? Uh, firework, which is like a video driven kind of like Instagram, but all videos, um, there's there's a few others that I have on here that I'm uh, Vero is a newer one, um, but uh, Facebook just seems to be uh, easy for me. Uh, I get the most notifications from others on it, so I jump on there more than the others and and post things. Um, and when it comes to watches, I haven't done a lot through my. I have a a, a watch page on Facebook actually. Um, but I don't think I've touched it in probably eight or nine months um, just because I've been focusing into my art and not really doing much on that front. So well, that does bring an interesting question, though, when you have a passion for watches and you have sort of a public Instagram page, do you mm -hmm. feel that do you feel like your audience would, you know, like, do you want them to get to a point where they understand like, this is just a thing that really excites me. I don't mind posting this here. Or do you feel like, well, I know this is not really the place, you know, do you feel like there would be any pushback if you kind of broaden your audiences, you know, like if you kept it in one channel, it's like all of a sudden you here, I've got all my artwork, but Hey, this is kind of cool. I, I'm just going to throw this watch out. Like I know like your Instagram is kind of a mixture and it's not necessarily a main channel, but would you consider something like that on the Facebook as far as like mixing a little more of you into this as well? Um, you know, I, I, I've thrown that back and forth before. Uh, I, I really like on Facebook, I, I run probably five or six Facebook, different Facebook pages. Um, and I kind of try to keep them separate from each other. Now my personal one, I post anything I post, I reshare my art on it. I'll, you know, uh, share a new story or whatever. Um, but I feel like if you, if you start putting a passion into an art page or a business page or whatever it may be, it really opens up the floodgates, uh, for people to, to argue. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I try to stay away from religion, politics, all that kind of stuff. Um, just cause I, I'm, I know, me being myself, I have very strong opinions on things <laughs> and I don't, I don't ever want to hold my opinions against someone. Um, because I may be wrong, you know, I, I fully admit and I, I tell my girlfriend all the time, you know, I may be wrong on this, but that it, whatever it may be. Um, and, and I like to keep it that way, that way it's separate. You know, I don't want to, uh, alienate anyone with my opinion. You know, if I post a Rolex watch and someone just really hates Rolex and likes Omega instead, 
I don't want to alienate them and then feel like they can't have a conversation with me. Right. That's that might be extreme, but the idea of what I'm what I go for when I keep those separate, you know, um, I am a uh, I'm a certified Muay Thai trainer. Um, I trained in, in Thailand a couple years ago and I'm certified through their uh, uh, Ministry of Education as a Muay Thai trainer. Well, there's people out there that are <clears throat> extremely anti-violence and they are not okay with that, you know, and I don't want to alienate those people. You know, I don't want the people that think that, uh, that collegiate wrestling is better than kickboxing to, you know, be alienated. It, it, it goes from all different sides. I'd rather keep it just about the art on an art page, just about the watches on a watch page. And then my personal page, if you're friends enough with me to be on my personal page, then you get to see a little bit more of who I am. Right. So there is kind of this really fine line about, you know, you, you put yourself out there, you know, as, as much as you can promote yourself, you put yourself out there, but there, you know, there is sort of that risk of, like I said, it's an all audience is tough to cultivate, but probably very easy to lose. Absolutely. And, and it, I guess it really all depends on the size of your audience. Now I, I realize, you know, for my art, I do primarily star Wars. I do some other stuff, but primarily star Wars. And I realize that that is a huge culture, but you know, I'm not my name, my, my visual, my art, everything isn't out there to the extent of, and I'm trying to think, uh, it's like a YouTube star, like a, like a Logan Paul. Now Logan Paul does, crazy things he's very controversial a lot of people don't like him but you know what if if you know 200,000 people don't like you but you have 1.8 million subscribers on your your YouTube channel well to you that one that 200,000 people it's okay that you're offending them because you're bringing it to a bigger mass right um, there are some people in in the Star Wars world um that are like that. And, and I'm not going to say any names, but there are a few on, on Twitter that, you know, put out their, their personal opinion on things. And I'm sure that loses them fans. But when you're, you know, a multi-million dollar actor or actress or, you know, whomever you may be, not that you don't care about losing fans, but it's more important you to get your message out there to the people that do agree with you. So you, you can have that broad, uh, broad stroke across everybody at that point. Do you think an audience can get too big? Um, I think it really depends on the, the subject. Uh, you know, for, for art, I don't think you can ever have too big an audience, um, which goes along, you know, um, different, all the different art medias, whether it be physical art, acting, singing, anything like that. Uh, I don't think the audience can get too big. I think the person, the, the person's, let's just say ego can get too big for the audience, uh, depending on, you know, where the person comes from, where, what, where they're going, what they, what they feel, what they, if their brain changes. I mean, there's people out there, uh, some of the, some of the, you know, to me, biggest stars in our field or in my field or whatever. Um, you know, I met uh, Mark Ratz, a fantastic artist, one of my all-time heroes when it comes to art. 
Um, and he was one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Truly and utterly one of the nicest guys. And it wasn't an act. It wasn't a, hey, I met you at a table at a convention. I'm going to be nice to you. Um, I met him through a mutual friend. And he's actually who pushed me to submit to working for Tops as a sketch card artist. You know, he he met me the next day. He agreed to look at my portfolio that I happened to have was just a sketch pad. It wasn't even a portfolio. It was just what I had with me. Um, so he looked through it. He critiqued me. Uh, not all, you know, not all fluff. You're great. This is fantastic. He, he pointed out things he didn't like. He, you know, did it, did it reasonable. And then later that day, he invited me and my friend to dinner and we all went and had dinner. Like, Seriously, one of the nicest people. <laughs> um, you know, uh, another guy, uh, some people have issues with him. I have no issues with Daniel Logan. Daniel Logan, honestly, one of the nicest people I've ever met at a convention. I've been to a lot. Um, I have heard things about instances or situations that happened that I was not there for. So I can't comment on those. All I can comment is on, you know, in. Cincinnati at the Cincinnati uh, Pop Expo was the first time I met him. And that was one of the coolest weekends. Spent a ton of time with him. He, you know, got out of his table and we hunted around the con and did things together and hung out. And and then, uh, you know, friend of mine showed up last day, didn't have any money. And Daniel just signed an autograph for him and said, wow. hey. Your, your, your buddy's pretty cool, you know, give him this. It, it was, you know, just a really nice guy. So I don't think it, it's going to be per person because then you got other people. And again, I, for the bad, I won't name any names. Um, but you hear stories about people at conventions that don't want to talk to you or, you know, just want to sign and go and whatever. Sometimes it goes to people's heads. Other times people love it, you know, and you can, you can really tell. Um, sometimes people are having a bad day and I think you can tell that too. It happens. Everybody's busy, worn out, tired, all those kind of things. Um, so at that point people just have to be a little, little patient with the people, you know? I think that would Uh, go the same with, with you. Um, if you've done, if you've done a number of cons or if you decide to have a booth and put yourself out there and, and you're basically stuck in a little, let's say eight by eight booth, you know, all day, you, you know, with whatever you brought with you and, you know, people are passing, you're coming up, coming up, coming up. I, that's got to be quite the strain to kind of keep that face, you know, from, you know, from start to finish of con. And that first interaction, in some cases, has to about be the same as the last interaction, you know, where it's like, you know, hey, I've had my coffee and I, I did a Dunkin' Run before we, the con started. But now it's, you know, 4.45 or 5.45 and I, I've signed it. My hand hurts. Uh, I'm tired. You know, I, I need to use the restroom and here's someone coming up. There's got to be a bit of pressure on to go. I've got to, I'm on basically the whole time. Absolutely. Uh, for myself, I feel like maybe down the road I'll get to a point where, you know, my, my first smile isn't, or my last smile isn't as big as my first smile. <laughs> But at, at this point, I mean, I met, uh, as I said, you know, I've, I've done art my whole life. I met Mark Ratz in, uh, in Anaheim at Star Wars Celebration. So that was just, what, six years ago? Right. Four years ago? 
what I don't remember. Um, and then it wasn't for another, you know, six months that I actually got the job working for tops. Um, so I, I'm pretty, pretty fresh into the, I'm going to call it professional art. I mean, I've done, uh, you know, commissions for people. I've drawn tattoos for people, you know, all that kind of stuff that people do out of their homes just as a hobby more than anything else. Um, so for me, it's still fresh for me. It's still, I am, you know, when, when you pictured, uh, Jake Lloyd on the, on the red carpet when Phantom Menace came out, how big his smile was and how he was still starstruck and amazed at where he was, you know, uh, compared to, you know, it's 30 years later, he might not be as starstruck anymore. And I know that might be a weird comparison using Jake at that point, but, uh, but I'm sure people get tired of it. You know, people aren't one trick ponies. The people like, Robert Downey Jr. say it best. He's like, you know, I signed up for this many movies as Iron Man, but I don't want to be Iron Man the rest of my life. I am an actor right. that can do many things, you know. So I think that's where um, a lot of that's different. For me, I'm still starry-eyed and starstruck. Um, I, if someone walks up to my table, I'm excited. You know, I, I feel like it's the it's the first person coming to see my art pretty much every time right now. Now you had mentioned that you were born in the eighties. So you weren't able to see star Wars in the theaters, the first go around, but can you tell me Correct. your first kind of exposure to star Wars? Uh, well, my dad, and this, <laughs> this sounds weird. My dad was one of those people. He, uh, one of his biggest, um, sayings was, um, the guy that dies with the most toys wins. <laughs> so back in 1979, so before I was born, just after my brother was born, my dad went out and bought a VCR. VCR cost $4,000 oh, yeah. at that point in time. So in 1979, you know, if you look at inflation, that's like spending like 13 grand on a VCR right now. Um, so he went out and bought the VCR he went to specialty audio stores uh, and got blank VHS tapes, which cost about a hundred bucks at the time. And he recorded everything, everything. Um, so I, I definitely got to see all the Star Wars movies pretty early um, in my life, even though you know I didn't get to see them as you said in the theater. Um, I know I saw. I saw the Ewok Adventures, the two made-for-TV movies. I saw those on TV um, when they first came out. Uh, I know, <clears throat> excuse me, I know I saw Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back on a home VHS tape that my dad had. I don't think I got to see, well, back then just Star Wars, um, until probably about 1987 or 88. Uh, and that was uh, Cable Channel USA. <laughs> right. Would, would play them all day long, the three of them in order, one after another, after another, after another, um, for Thanksgiving. Which I looked forward to all year long. Um, you know, if, if I wanted to watch a movie... 
on a VHS tape, I had to go in the living room or, you know, we had a TV down in the basement, had to go there. Uh, so I wasn't constantly popping in Star Wars. I was kind of waiting till it was on TV. But every year I got to watch the three of them <laughs> all day long. And then like another one and a half, you know, until dinner was ready, that kind of thing. Um, but that was something I looked forward to every year. And that, as I said, probably started in like 87, something like that, 87 to 89, somewhere there. What do you, uh, what do you start drawing or when do you start drawing? Uh, drawing wise, if you, if you ask my mom, I, I never once in my life drew a stick figure, um, which I, I kind of believe her. I, I, I do. And I don't, I actually have a drawing pad of mine from, uh, from kindergarten. And, um, you know, I have like a few of the, the drawings I dated. I don't know why I did it back then. I don't really do it now. Um, but back then I had dated a few of the drawings and they were definitely from my kindergarten year. So 85, 86, uh, I was in kindergarten. And so that's, that's really where I remember starting to draw. Uh, I couldn't tell you if I did before school or not. I think I was an outdoor kid until school started, and then I just became an indoor guy. <laughs> who were some of the um, Who were some of the people you tried to emulate, or when you looked back at some of your earlier works, who were some of the influences? Um, going back to like, <clears throat> excuse me again, the kindergarten drawing pad. At that point, I don't think I really had many influences, which sounds weird, and I'm not trying to blow myself <laughs> up. Uh, but back then, I was, I, I've always, whether I was doing it in a, a big capacity or not, I was always some sort of sport card collector or pop culture trading cards or something like that. And the, the book is full of everything random. Uh, everything from I, I drew the there's a, a swamp thing drawing in there to some this one of the characters from the Burger King Kids Club to the Cheerios B the Honey Nut Cheerio B uh, I just kind of drew everything and anything uh, it actually has my first I'm gonna call them sketch cards in there I looked at some wwf at the time trading cards and redrew them with squares around them so there's like five on the one page so i'm considering those my first sketch cards ever done <laughs> uh, and looking back man they're bad uh, <laughs> but uh, i don't think i really got many influences until uh, probably around the third grade i became friends with a guy a kid named justin azarian and he was really big into comic books and it, it kind of pushed me into comic books. And at that time, you know, third grade, that was, oh, God, I can't do that math. Uh, so I was 90, something like that, 19, close to 1990. Uh, and at that point, you know, X-Men was starting to get bigger. Right. Uh, I, w I was probably more of a Marvel kid growing up. I remember having DC comic figures as a young kid, but it never really piqued my attention. Um. So the, the Marvel comics of the early 90s is kind of where I think I got a lot of my inspiration from the Jim Lees. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
you know, Jim Lee and and uh, and all the guys that went off and started Image, obviously. Right. Um, you know, all those guys. I loved the the crazy amounts of detail. Um, you know, how it wasn't just a really good looking cover. The insides of the books kind of matched. Uh, and you didn't get that a ton with comic books. You know, you had your your Alex Rosses that did amazing right. covers. And then whoever did the inside, I, not to take anything away, but it was a lot more plain Jane than the cover <laughs> show. Um, and then other than that, those guys that those guys were the, the first that really influenced me in in drawing, I should say. Um, I was a huge fan of Stan Winston. Uh, I was a big horror movie fan and sci-fi movie fan growing up. So, you know, Stan Winston and his, the creatures he created um, and Jim Henson and the, the creatures he created, I think those really pushed my imagination uh, and pushed me to, you know, create new things myself, which I don't do much anymore. But at the time I did and doing that pushed me more into, ha- you know, honing the, the craft of being an artist at that time. I really, um, in looking at your Instagram channel, I was just kind of looking at the, uh, I really like the, the the Vincent Price, uh, was really, that's really quite amazing. And then a great Christopher Lee, some of this hammer, some of the hammer horror. Um, absolutely. The, uh, what's kind of interesting is then you kind of come in, in sort of a, a lull in Star Wars. You, I know you, you'd mentioned, we talk about the, the comic books, do you mm-hmm. remember seeing the uh, the Star Wars Galaxy cars that came out in the in the mid '90s? Did you see them at all? You know, I really didn't. Uh, the I, I grew up mostly in in Medina, Ohio, which is about 40 minutes south of Cleveland, Ohio. Right. And uh, there were at the time there was there was one comic shop that was close enough my mother would take me to, and there was two sports card shops. One that closed fairly early. Um, closed up shop, I should say, fairly early, and the other one that's still around now. Um, but they didn't really carry too much when it came to pop culture, uh, especially since Star Wars just was not right, right. as popular at the time. You know, you could pick up the the uh, the the packs of the wax packs of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle stickers, or the Michael Jackson sticker cards, or New Kids on the Block, things like that. Um, but not really Star Wars at that time. And even in the comic book shop, at that point I might have been a little more focused on the the Wolverines and the Gambits and stuff like that uh, to even notice the Star Wars at that time. Yeah, I think you would have probably even have maybe seen some of the X-Men cards probably just because it was a safer bet uh, for oh, the absolutely. card shop to do. And then, of course, in the what the mid mid to late 80s, a lot of that, a lot of that ceiling falls out of the of the uh, other sports cards, especially baseball cards, take a dive um, in the '80s and '90s. You can you can find full sealed sets for next to nothing, just because there was such a glut. And and price of the same, you could say the same for comics at that point. Um, you know, I had tons of those and had a lot of the X Men titles and so forth. But yeah, and, and they they look very nice and they feel like they should be worth a lot more. Uh, they, yeah, they, they aren't. Um, but yeah, it's sort of an interesting. It's an interesting kind of uh, era to find yourself in because we don't get we don't get really more Star Wars until 
you know, the Phantom Menace or they, the Phantom Menace comes out in 90, what, 99, but then, then they re-released the special editions. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably when you start kind of finding your way back in after probably years of not really thinking about it, right? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I know uh, early to mid 90s, there was the, I think Marvel, or no, no, it was Dark Horse comics right. that, uh, that had Star Wars and they had, um, I don't remember if it was Old Republic or New Republic. I don't remember what the title was. And I know I have one issue somewhere up in my my attic right now just because I remember seeing the issue and thinking the cover art was really great and I just picked it up. Um, but yeah, uh, there was there was a, a very long time that I really probably I, I probably didn't think about Star Wars at all. Um, growing up, it, it was weird. There was little little bits uh, when I was. I actually have a, a picture on my phone from when I was two or three years old. My mother cut up three of her uh, fur coats or faux fur, whatever they were, to make me a an Ewok <laughs> costume uh, for Halloween. You know, no, no face. My face was cut out, but she did the rest. And, and I love the little picture. Um, uh, you know, so like at that age, I saw it. And then, as I said, in the, the mid to late 80s, it was on USA. Uh, I also grew up with a kid that I thought would be much bigger into Star Wars than I am, and it's kind of flip-flopped, that would quote things. And like, I don't know, first and second grade, he would quote Star Wars, and it, it kind of annoyed the crap out of me back then. Um, <laughs> but he used to get me in trouble because i tell him to shut up, and then the teacher would think I was talking. But, um, but from there, yeah, I think you're right. It was from there to... You know, probably the the re-release, the special edition re-release, or or Phantom Menace. Um, but ever since then, like, I, I know a lot of people talk a lot of smack about the the prequels, and they are flawed. But so are the originals. If you go back and and watch them with a blank mind, um, it it opened up so many more worlds. You know, to me. Watching the originals, yeah, there were different planets that they were on, lots of stuff in space. It, it, it was fantastic. Um, but then when they came out with the prequels, because I wasn't into the novels at the time and the, the comic books, whatnot, it showed that this universe is much more vast than you might have originally thought if you just saw the original three movies. Like, it is so large and expansive that you can get, you can get completely lost. And I think that's what really brought me back in. You know, the visuals for the time were outstanding. You know, I mean, you can look back at it now and see the visuals are dated, but you can also see some of the most amazing things that they did. You know, if you look at the the pod racing scene and if you know digital effects and how they actually had to go in and create that and it's, it's spectacular. And I think that's what really brought me back in. It was the the knowledge of this gigantic galaxy and universe that it's just like comic books. New things can be added without having to be like, well, this was here all along. Well, it was. It just wasn't on the planet that you were on, you know, or whatever it may be. So many stories that can be added, which they have um, – they have gone to do in you know the cartoons or new novels and things like that, where 
they've just made it huge. And so many stories and so many timelines, not timelines, I'm tra- talking interdimensional there, but, <laughs> um, but so many things that, that you, can, you can love. You don't just have to love Luke, Leia, and Han, you know. You can you can be a fan of Mandalorians. If you like bad guys, you don't just have to like Darth Vader and the Emperor now. You can like Darth Maul uh, down to, again, Mandalorians, the, the, um, the Death Watch. You can like crime syndicate gangs. You can, you know, you, there's so many different things to be, to be a fan of that you're not just stuck in a little bubble. Where did the, um, do you remember the first time you started seeing uh, card art or sketch cards or how did that, how do you make that connection? I know you talked earlier about some of the people that gave you some introduction, but as far as even considering um, doing card art. Um, well, back before even considering doing it, uh, probably my senior year of high school, which was 2000, I graduated, um, probably a little before then until 2012, I didn't touch a trading card, whether it be sport, non-sport, anything, uh, really kind of didn't do comic books either at that point. Um, you know, work, being an adult, all that good stuff, you know, um, just got into other things. So it was really, um, sorry. Um, (laughs) my, uh, girlfriend's texting me to see if she should bring the kids home. She was trying to give me some quiet time and I told her to stay out a little bit. Um, so, you know, for me it was really, I got back into it. I, I was living in Cincinnati at the time and I liked star Wars. Um, wasn't really into the cards or anything yet, but I, I was still really big into star Wars and doing art and a guy at the gym I was working at, um, had a Star Wars tattoo on the back of his calf. And I was like, hey, that's a cool tattoo. You know, Star Wars, blah, blah, blah. You get in that conversation. And I showed him a few of my Star Wars tattoos. And and uh, we became friends, like fast friends, you know, hit it off. We did, you know, we went to conventions together. We actually ran a website uh, for pop culture at the time together. Um, we built helmets and painted helmets and built homemade lightsaber and we did the whole we were five years old again (laughs) and uh and he uh, he he randomly showed me a post on on facebook because we were as i said we were making this this website at the time just pop culture news and whatever and he showed me this post that he had found on on facebook and it was an autograph trading card um from a top set and i went wow, that's really cool. I like autographs. I always have, um, that's, I I love going to conventions and and meeting people and whatever. So I started to look into it and I got into the, the 2012, uh, galactic file set from tops. And at at that point I, I I knew, you know, I I would need to win the lottery because (laughs) I, I would literally, I'd get home from work, go to the gym, get home from the gym, and I'd sit in my living room and I would troll eBay or COMC 
or Facebook or blowout forums or whatever. And I would just start buying and buying and buying. And I was silly back then. I didn't realize I was, I was wasting money here and there <laughs> by buying just packs or, you know, or just buying a box when I could have bought a case or whatever it may be. Um, but that's where I really got back into it. And that set did have sketch cards. Um, I, I remember pulling an Ewok sketch card out of one, which made me crazy happy. Um, I can't tell you who the artist was, but, uh, after that, um, I still, it's going to sound terrible to this day. I don't particularly collect sketch cards. Like if I really like a sketch card, I like it, you know, um, but I don't hunt them really. Um, but after that, I just, I kept on doing my art and, and whatever. And, starting to go to the different Star Wars celebrations and conventions. Uh, I just, I loved walking through Artist Alley and seeing all the, the art that was out there and all the amazing things people were putting out. And then you go to Celebration and they have their art show. And their art show, um, you know, it's, it's, it's licensed by Lucasfilm. Not saying that these people specifically sit at, you know, a Disney headquarters or a Lucasfilm headquarters and work on art all day long for that. But I was just blown away. And I was like, wow, I I really want to do this. You know, as I said, I was working in an office, working at a gym. You know, I was probably putting in around 80 or 85 hours a week between the two. Um, and then drawing, you know, two hours a week. And uh, I got to a point in my life, I moved back up to Cleveland and I bought a house and got settled in and whatever. And I just got to a point where I was like, look, I'm, if you're ever going to do this, you need to do it. So after I talked to Mark and I, I submitted to Tops and they graciously accepted me, I, I scaled back. So as I said, I bartend now. I bartend three days a week and the other four days a week I work on art. So it was probably only five or six years ago that I really said, I'm going to do this, you know, and I'm, I'm going to try and give it a go. How did you, how did your workflow evolve? Um, and if you can talk about your, your studio, maybe how it has evolved since you got started in doing the cards for tops. Oh, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> when I, the, the first set I did for tops was, uh, 2017 Star Wars Masterworks. Um, unfortunately, you will not find any of those because they say they lost my cards. Um, oh, wow. I did get five replacement artist-proof cards. They're blank. I still have four of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, at that point, I had a lamp from like my living room table uh, set up on my dining room table uh, with with my laptop and an iPad and a no joke like a kids Star Wars branded light table it <laughs> takes like three AA batteries um, and I never actually used it as a light table it was just what I put the cards on so I wasn't on the table um, so that's that's how it started it was different girlfriend at the time but just annoying her, at, you know, because I, I insist on having noise while I draw. Um, so whether I have 
you know, whether I'm watching YouTube or listening to a Star Wars audiobook, just something to to drown, drown out everything else around me. Um, so she would get annoyed because she'd want to watch TV in the living room or whatever, and I'd be doing something completely different in the, the dining room. Um, now, uh, my, well, let's say, quote-unquote, studio is still fairly, you know, uh, shambles being put together. Um, I, I found a, a desk on Facebook Marketplace that I really liked. Uh, <laughs> and just kind of started building from there. I moved my dining room table into the kitchen. Um, and now my dining room is still my office at this point. You know, uh, it's, it's a desk with a hutch, a little side table. I'm completely out of room. It is covered in everything and anything, you know, three different desk lamps, uh, one with a magnifying glass, uh, all my markers, colored pencils, pencils, paints, everything kind of in its place, but still not sorted enough for me because I, I'm kind of a neat freak and my desk actually freaks me out a bit just because it's not <laughs> as put together as I'd like it to be. Um, but hence the life of a starving artist. I uh, got to do what I got to do with the money I have at that point. Um, but that's, and now I, I work the same, you know, I still use that same child's i think it's actually put up by crayola star wars light table underneath the card or whatever i may be working on if it if whatever i'm working on is too big i don't use it but um ipad sitting next to me so i can um look at photos or pictures or whatever i need to look at for color uh another ipad uh on the other side of me that i listen to youtube or whatever computer in front of me to give me more reference material and that's just what I do uh, Monday Monday through Thursday from about well depending if the kids have school and I get up to take them to school or not but let's just say from about 830 in the morning till about midnight uh, just sitting at the desk working and working oh wow and I have to think that, you know, when you were talking before, you were talking about how you really kind of got into the mechanics of watches and all the things that make it work. Uh, the, the tactile feel and, and the and the construction of a piece of art similarities, do you feel you really kind of get into the the process and how, how, a, how a piece of art or a, or a card comes together? Uh, absolutely. Um, I still, no matter how how long I'm in it. And I hope everyone kind of considers this the same. I'm going to say no longer, no matter how long you're an artist, you're always a novice. There's always something to learn, always something new, always a trick, always a tip. You know, I mean, when I was, when I was 10 years old, I would start a drawing and I'm sure I would start it in the bottom right hand corner and I would draw up and I would smudge the crud out of everything that I drew. You know, it's not until you get older and you, you realize those mechanics that you go, okay, I can't do that. I have to start on the other side. I'm right-handed. Start on the left side of the paper. Um, you know, put a piece of paper under your hand. Silly stuff like that, obviously. But to a point of, you know, uh, when you get a little bit older and that, mixing this color with this color to make this color to um, – the way you're really, um, you know, planning out your page and how 
how things go together. I was just saying to my girlfriend earlier today, I just finished an uh, homage piece, a uh, blank comic cover, which I like doing. I like doing ones that are already out there but changing them. I just did the, uh, let's see, it's Spider-Man 129, the introduction of the Punisher. Oh, yeah, I just saw that, yeah. Super classic cover. There's a lot of comic book covers out there, obviously. This one, whether the story's good or not, this cover has proved to be pleasing to people's eye. <laughs> you know, the layout of the cover, it, it, it draws you in. You know, it's something, it's something that not every comic cover does, you know. So learning that, learning that composition of the page um, is something you're going to continuously learn. You know, you look at some of the, the great um, movie poster artists out there, Drew Struzan, Mark Ratz, you know, those kind of guys that put together a movie poster. And, you know, if you follow Mark Ratz, uh, you could see he had like four or five different designs that he did for Solo, um, Solo, a Star Wars series, um, or Star Wars story, excuse me. Um, and you know, he went from this one to this one and he kind of kept one basic theme that he really wanted in there, but changed things throughout. And, uh, the one he finally decided to go with is the one he thought was the best. Um, either that or Lucasfilm, I'm not sure who actually picked the final. Um, but it doesn't matter how good an artist you are. You can have the same basic same picture 10 different times just a little change in each one and someone's going to pick one over another you're going to pick one over another and those are things you're going to learn as planning out what you're drawing at that point forever and in some cases when you are doing the sketch cards and you have to do multiples of that had to have been something a little different you're like whereas maybe an artist thinks that you know like this is a unique piece I may not go back to it. Now you're maybe having to do several of the same, depending upon what the, what what tops or whatever com company wants you to do those. Uh, that had to be a bit of a change, or, or you kind of had to kind of come up with a strategy for doing that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so mostly for tops, I know in past sets there has been, I believe the uh, the Jedi Chrome Jedi versus Sith set. Um, they wanted, and you can find them on eBay, there's one artist, again, forget the name, that did a ton of little cartoon Yoda in the corner holding a lightsaber. He also did a bunch of little cartoon Vader's. Um, basically the same drawing over and over, just a little different because he's not copy and pasting, obviously. It's, it's hand done. Right. Um, and they actually wanted that. That way you were able to churn out more, you know. At that time, the artists weren't getting paid as much, and we still don't get paid very well, but we won't get into that. Um, <laughs> since then, Tops really hasn't done that so much. Um, they usually want different cards, at least in that one set. If in the next set, then you do something really similar. Um, you know, I don't want to say it's frowned upon, but it's not something that they're going to say, you know, make 30 of this same thing. Um, but it really does uh, depend on the company. I'm work. I'm actually working on a set for another company, and I don't know if the set's been announced, so I'm not going to announce the name of the set. Sure. But in the set, um, you know, basic is. I'm just going to give you smallest example. 
if you do the minimum of 30 cards. Well, they wanted three different drawings. And then the licensor approved those three, and then they want nine more of each of basically the same thing. You can change the background color. You can, you know, just don't deviate crazy, um, but pretty much the same thing. That's not usually done anymore, but in this instance, it is. Um, so I'm actually having a little bit tougher time with it because I'm getting bored <laughs> drawing the, the same nine thing, you know, the same thing 10 times, same thing 10 times. Um, but yeah, as, as for Star Wars, again, it's so, the, the universe is so vast. And for most of the things that, that Tops works on, uh, you know, probably the, the thing with the smallest um, reference is like Stranger Things, just because it's so new. It's only three seasons in. Right. They're not even to the third season of Cards yet, so you really don't have a lot of um, reference at that point. But for Star Wars, it's even depending on a set, like the newest set that's coming out, the uh, the Skywalker saga. You know, they want sketch cards from you know episode one through eight. No Rogue One, no cartoon, no Solo. You know. Um, even with that kind of restriction, there's still so much to draw, you know, um, it's, if you can't either find a reference of something or they're very good about, you know, your, I don't want to say your take, because obviously again, they want somewhat photorealistic. They don't like super cartoony stuff when they want something that's live action, whatnot, um, but as long, you know, if you draw Luke on Tatooine, it doesn't have to be an exact scene from a movie. It can just be Luke on Tatooine. Well, Luke was on Tatooine. Everyone knows that. That's okay. If you draw, uh, I'm trying to think, if you draw Mon Mothma on Tatooine, they're going to be like, well, we don't <laughs> ever know Mon Mothma was on Tatooine, so we're not okay with that one, you know, which I know that's, subjective you know it's a desert planet whatever you know um but just to use an example i know a one of the artists that did a base card for galaxy uh, the last galaxy series actually had to change his for a reason similar to that and i'm not gonna get into it in case you ever want to have him on it on the podcast he can tell you that story um if he chooses to but and it wasn't a huge change it was something about well, we don't know if this person was ever on this planet or we don't know if these two people were ever together, that kind of thing. Um, well, then, you know, then you're but, kind of going back between like, you know, is it borderline fanfic versus canon, I guess. Exactly. Or, or head exactly. canon. Like, Legends-wise, and, and I won't lie, my first set of Masterwork, I re- again, they lost the card, so it didn't matter. I wanted to draw Darth Revan, so I did. And... <laughs> In the approval process, that probably got thrown aside anyway. Um, whether you know that was just lost or if it actually went through the approval process or not, but you know, there's there are those restrictions. Yes, uh, hopefully things coming up, Disney Plus service and whatnot, we'll get a lot more of those Legends characters. Fingers crossed, because <laughs> uh, some of them are really great. We know that, and and. You know, I've I've never been mad at everybody was really mad that they were 
going to change Thrawn's history from the, the original Timothy Zahn stuff to the current, but the current is amazing. So, right. You know, if, if they change some of the history of Darth Bane or Revan or, or Bastila or whomever, it's probably going to turn out pretty good. You know, uh, you know, it's people that complain about it not being as the original was or whatever. I, I say enjoy it as something new instead of something that you know. You know. Exactly. Going back to that galaxy set, um, yourself, you had a base card in there. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? And that must have been pretty exciting. Uh, it was really exciting. Um, it, it was difficult. It was the first time, I don't want to say the first time, I've done commissions for individuals before, not never like a company. But for individuals where, you know, somebody, you go, you start going one way and then by the end of it, you're completely different, um, which is kind of what happened with Galaxy. Uh, not complaining about tops, tops, anyone listening, please don't take this as complaining. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they, they first ask you for just a written out idea. They give us three ideas of what you would do on a card. We're going to come back to you and say, okay, go ahead and try this one. You know, do this one. Um, so I gave three ideas. Uh, I don't think I'm doing anything bad by telling you one of them was, um, wow, I'm trying to think now. The, the, the one that they ended up picking, I'll just go with that, was uh, Kane and Jairus versus the um, Temple Guard from one of the uh, – rebels episodes and i really liked that idea <clears throat> i hadn't done a lot of animated stuff at that point in time so i was looking forward to it um i went through you know i did it larger obviously than than two and a half by three and a half um solid pencil drawing submitted that they said okay go ahead with color went ahead and did the color submitted that they said okay we don't like this it happened to be they're like the 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 head we don't like we wanted to look more like the rebels cartoon where i had a little bit of a different style to it and i was like okay that's fine went back in redrew the whole thing made the head more like the rebels like the actual animation um submitted that they came back and said well instead of what you have <laughs> completely <laughs> completely change it to uh, instead of one foreground, one in the background, facing each other, more of a close-up kind of thing. All right, so I did that as well. As I was doing that, though, I happened to be drawing at my the image that was actually approved, the Obi-Wan image, um, just on my own. It was just something I was drawing. Kenobi is one of my favorite characters. Uh, so I was just happened to be drawing that on my own, and kind of got done with both of them at the same time. So I submitted the one, the redo of the one that they had me redoing, and then also submitted to the art director. I was like, hey, you know, if this is still an issue, you know, what what about this? Maybe let them see this as well. Uh, and that, I, I got a response to that within like three days, which was amazing to me. Um, since everything else had been kind of weeks and weeks, it, you know, goes to tops, tops, sends it to Lucasfilm, Lucasfilm sends it back to tops. They then contact us again. 
Um, so they said, yeah, we're, we're going to use this Kenobi one. Don't, don't even worry about the other one (laughs) (laughs) that that I had done three, four times, you know? Um, but, but that was fine with me because honestly, by, by the end of it, the Kenobi one was something that I put together where the other one, you know, by the third, fourth one was kind of more their vision of it than mine anyway. Um, but that was, it was hugely exciting to me. Uh, like have, having having your art in a top set as a sketch card is awesome. It's it's really cool. The recognition is cool. Um, you know, just being attached to it is really cool. Um, but that is artist rendition of something one of one. You know, one off. Being included in the base set is to me my my legacy. My my name is attached to a star Wars product forever. You know, you can, you can take every sketch card I've ever done and, uh, you know, dip it in acid and it's gone or, you know, take a, take white paint and paint over it. You can do that to a base card too, but then no one would have a set, <laughs> you know, right. Uh, my, that, that base cards out there. It is, it is mine forever. And that's, that's one of the coolest things I've ever experienced in my life. Yeah, that is something to wear. And I think, you know, if you look at some of the early some of the early Galaxy sets, sometimes or even like if you go even with the twenty eighteen where they'll go back to the archives where you'll have like the first part of that set, you know, you have the artist's name and a little bit and then that last one is like, well, these are from the archives where it's not really listed. So it is something where it's like, yes, there there's my artwork and then there's my name as well. And uh, I think and I think that's something where, like, even for this, it's like to to get a chance to talk to people about that. I think that really brings so much more meaning to the card. I mean, there's the card, the art itself, and then there's sort of the story behind it that I think is just fascinating. Um, I wanted to. I, I know you, we're we're going into a little bit of, of overtime, but I did want to talk about the cards you had coming up. You had mentioned. Um, uh, some of the episode nine. Can you talk not necessarily about what you did, but what sets we might see you in? Uh, um, well, I, I can I can tell you this again. Uh, tops, I don't again don't want to get in trouble. Nope, nope. Um, just stuff that's been announced. Uh, the the Skywalker saga has been announced, so uh, I do have cards for that. Um, I am. Uh, unless something changes, and hopefully it doesn't, I am currently on the let's just call it the mailing list from the art director for ongoing Star Wars. Um, so anything I right now, as far as I know, anything I don't get an invitation to for Star Wars uh, won't have sketch cards. Not saying that that's true. It's just to my knowledge. Um, they uh, they've announced masterwork. As a set, you know, again this year, um, I can tell you those cards have not been completed yet, um, <laughs> mostly because I don't have them yet. But <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so so uh, you know, barring a a mass rejection of my of my artwork, that would be another one you would see me in. Um, Star Wars wise, that is really the only info on Star Wars cards that I have. Um, none of the other upcoming sets are being released soon enough that I would have an invite for them. 
if they are going to have sketch cards or not. Like, I mean, uh, high tech last year did not have sketch cards. So I'm assuming if they do another high tech set, it won't again, but I'm not sure. We don't have any of that information. Um, other sets coming up. They just announced the, um, stranger things. Welcome to the upside down. Uh, that is a set that I'm, uh, currently working on. Um, I have not worked on uh, The Walking Dead for a few sets. I actually asked to be taken off that list just because I had so many other things going on. I couldn't put enough time into that one as well. Um, other than that, I work uh, for Dynamite Trading Cards. I don't know if you collect any Dynamite Trading Cards or really go into those. Um, Dynamite Entertainment owns uh, a lot of the Chaos Comics stuff. So there are some chaos comic themed things coming up um, that, again, I don't think that they've announced. Uh, they did a, a Betty Page set that is currently in uh, Kickstarter to update the packaging. They want to put them in. It's, it's kind of a premium set, kind of like Masterwork. But instead of buying a, a box with four in it, I believe they're only sold in single boxes. Um, so right now there it's a it's a thick foil pack where they're gonna change it if they get the Kickstarter going into actual boxes. Um, oh. But that that set's really cool. Um, Jerry the King Lawler, uh, pro wrestling legend, uh, is an artist as well. He actually is on that set for as uh, I believe he did a, a uh, like a one two on base cards and there are some. If you if you go through the Kickstarter, you if you donate enough, you can get like custom Jerry the King Lawler cards as well, which is really cool. Um, so that one, um, trying to think, I uh, know the one I was talking about with the the multiples of the same. I'm not gonna talk about that one. Uh, I think that's really it for sketch cards right now. It's been a little slower season. Um, a lot of the the tops artists will will say that we've been. You know, a few of us are friends on Facebook and things like that. So we, we have talked like, hey, if, you know, or am I missing something? Are you missing something? Whatever. Um, the only other bigger projects I have coming right now are uh, there's a company called Printed in Blood that does art books. And um, I, I have submitted art for one project that they have not announced. I'm assuming a summer 2020 release would be where we're at on that one. And then uh, I just got uh, a new one that I'm that I just started working on that I don't know if I can. No, I don't think they've announced <laughs> it at all. So I don't. It, I I hate doing that because I don't want to put you. You know. No, no, no. Or, that's it, it's but, an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting. Uh, process and you know it it's funny you talk about a slow season but it, it doesn't you know you you rattled off a bunch of things i'm like i i think that's a how an artist probably has to work they kind of have to have several you know fires going on mm -hmm. and you know it, it's amazing you can fit that all in um well, well i think tops is really kind of i think they've listened to the fans a little bit um i know last year and the year before people were saying there's just too much Right. They couldn't keep up. You know, you couldn't go out and buy, you know, if you pre-order your, your boxes or cases, let's say, you know, in in April, you were pre-ordering through your distributor for a $1,300 case 
1400 whatever dollar case of masterwork and within six seven days or a week or two whatever um all of a sudden you're you know pre-ordering something else and then three three weeks after that you're pre-ordering something else and not not enough people make that kind of money right um, to be able to do that so i think they've spaced some stuff out this year which was nice for the collectors um a lot of the sets they have coming out if you saw anything from san diego comic-con the um the actual layouts of the card are fantastic um just personal opinion again don't fire me tops but not <laughs> a huge fan of the 2018 stellar set just the the design of the cards themselves but seeing what they released uh, to show at san diego comic-con that the next year is going to be it looks awesome i think um again that's the really big signers really cool stuff for the 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 super high-end collector obviously but uh, the next series of masterwork cards look great. Um, you know, obviously, again, I don't know what the sketch cards look like yet, but the the, uh, the base cards and autographs and all that I think look really, really good. So I think there's a lot of cool things to to wait for and coming up um, from Top slash Star Wars at that point. Excellent. And it, uh, also looking at your Instagram channel recently, you've got a big show coming up in September. You want to talk about? Yeah, that's the uh, the ICCC, which is the Imperial Commissaries Collector Convention. I hope I said that right, please. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's I believe just the second year for this convention. It's just south of Nashville, Tennessee. Really great show. I went last year just kind of on a whim. Um, decided to go as just as a as a spectator and had a blast. Uh, it's a smaller convention. There's three full days. The first day is for uh, like a VIP day. So there's really only two full days for everyone and anyone. Um, it's, as I said, it's smaller, but the quality of people that you get there is fantastic. Uh, first of all, it is a collector's convention more than anything. So there are, you know, vendors there with vintage toys, vintage art. Everything and anything you would be looking for vintage-wise. I believe last year we saw a uh, like a hobby, not a hobby horse. What's the the horse on the springs? What's the name of that? You know what I'm talking about. Oh, like from your childhood, like yeah, like you would go out on a like a playground. Like you'd, you'd sit on the horse and there's a spring, a spring on all four edges that's on a base, so you could bounce on it. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I can't, I can't but, uh, that. One of those that was Battle Cat. Oh my! And it was it was awesome. You know, vintage Star Wars carded figures, graded figures, all that kind of stuff. Really cool. Um, really friendly people everywhere. Uh, lots of little um, groups and media outlets and things like that have their own little space and booths. Um, but guest wise, I was amazed. Uh, I've always personally wanted to put on a convention in Northeastern Ohio. Um, and looking into it, I was like, there's no way I can get this going. I just don't have the time, effort, the, the manpower, all that stuff. But last year's big guest was, um, it was, uh, oh, I apologize. Um, <laughs> my brain just went completely blank. Captain Kirk, William Shatner. Thank you. Oh my. Uh, yeah. William Shatner was their big guest. They had, uh, one of the, 
live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles there. They had from the original, not from the Michael Bay ones. Um, you know, uh, Flash Gordon was there. You know, and right now I'm terrible with names. I'm just trying to spit <laughs> stuff out. But then they had, you know, five or six Star Wars actors, and that's what I usually go for. So, um, you know, um, Gerald Holm was there, and uh, I'm going to say his name wrong. Bern Calco was there, and Stefan Constantino was there. You know, there there were really cool people there. Um, so I got to know the the guy that runs the show a little bit, and I, I contacted him really early last year after the first show, and I was like, hey, I'd really like to to be involved, you know. Um, so that's how I got in on this show. This show this year is it's huge. I mean, even compared to last year, uh, the flyer I have has like 30 guests on it, and I know they added more after I got this flyer. Um, a ton of Star Wars, and that's where the uh, the print that I made is all but, I believe, two uh, Star Wars guests. Uh, actually, I'm going to say four because Timothy Zahn will be there. I did not include him as an author. I just included characters from the, the cartoons or movies. Um, but they just announced James Arnold Taylor oh, wow. a few weeks ago. So he's not on the print, but... Um, but some really cool people and from other stuff too. Clemso, he was in solo. He's been in 007. He was in, you know, uh, fantastic beasts and where to find them. He's been in a lot of great stuff. Um, you know, just, uh, uh, some power Rangers there, some GI Joe, uh, one of the GI Joe creators, really great, really, really great, um, guests, as I said, for being a smaller show, they, they do a lot of great things. Um, a lot of the money that they get, uh, I believe, goes into different charities and groups and things like that as well. They do they do a lot of good stuff, and it's a really great show to, to check out. Uh, again, it's September 13th through 15th, technically. Um, if anybody's in the Nashville area or you know wants to come into the Nashville area, I think it's definitely worth it. Uh, little museum setups. They, they do have vehicles if people are into that, you know, like Ecto One and stuff like that, you know, on the grounds um, to check out. So yeah, it's a really great show. Awesome. Really looking forward to it. And if people want to reach out and find you, uh, interact with you on the socials, what is the best way they can? Uh, best ways probably through my Facebook, my my business Facebook at least, which is facebook.com backslash. Cleveland, like the city, uh, an S, period, art. Um, other than that, Instagram would probably be next, which is Instagram.com backslash the real Kevin Cleveland. Um, but as we talked about earlier, that may, you know, you may see things that aren't specifically art related in there. So <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, I know I have taken up a lot of your time tonight, uh, but I did want to thank you for uh, giving us a little time and kind of letting us kind of peek behind the curtain and see, you know, how it is you do what you do and uh, some of your passions like that. And then once again, just thank you so much for giving us some time and uh, just appreciate it, man. Oh, thank you for having me on. I, I really, I enjoyed it. I'm a blabbermouth. I can talk for, I mean, we can keep going, you know, but... <laughs> 
you you might have dinner or something cooking going on right now but uh but yeah i i enjoyed being on the show i hope to actually meet up with you in person sometime at a convention or something excellent yeah I'll, i will be the one in hand with the uh, galaxy base card uh you know uh, asking you to sign it that uh that's that's my new that's my new collection is getting getting some of those artists to uh to sign their base card that uh, really takes I, I, I've started that same collection, honestly. Yeah. (laughs) All right, man. Thank you. Thank you. You have a good one. Once again, my thanks to Kevin Cleveland for being on the podcast tonight. He was a wonderful guest. I hope to get a chance to talk to him again. And uh, good luck at the uh, convention that you're going to, uh, the ICCC uh, in Nashville coming up here in a few weeks. Uh, If you get a chance to see him, make sure you stop by his table, get an autograph, get a picture uh, and then put it on your feed. I think it's really great for us to be able to support those artists as well as they just kind of give us some joy in the artwork that they do. If you have any feedback for tonight's episode, good, bad, or otherwise, please go ahead and post it in the Instagram post for this particular episode, or you can DM me if you don't necessarily want to make it public, or you can also email me at greg at rebelbasecard.com. Uh, like I said, I'm always uh, into feedback. I want to know how to make the show better. Uh, I want to bring more people to you, more collectors, more folks in the community, more sketch card artists, and more about collecting the, the cards we love, as well as the Star Wars community in general. This is kind of a fun podcast, and I really, I'm really happy you guys are along for the ride with me. Um, otherwise, if you are a sketch card artist and you would like to appear on the program, go ahead and email me at greg at rebelbasecard.com or DM me on Instagram. You know where to find me, hopefully, um, at any rate. And once again, hey, if you happen to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, I'd probably be remiss by saying, hey, why don't you give me a review and a rating? Uh, I'll take a good one. I'll take a bad one. Uh, I'm all about the transparency here and anything to kind of get the show out there. I appreciate the support. I appreciate the downloads. I appreciate the listens. You guys are awesome, and it's one of the reasons why I keep on doing this. Having a great time. Otherwise, we'll see you next time on the Rebel Base Card Podcast. The music for this podcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons license from Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails. This is Discipline off the album The Slip. This podcast is not affiliated in any way with Topps, Disney, or Star Wars, nor is it endorsed by Disney or Lucasfilm, and is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names and sounds and any other related items are properties of their respective trademarks and or copyright holders here in the U.S. and abroad. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com.